You're listening to The Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema, bringing class to trash since Welcome back to the Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema. I am Large William, and across the border from me is not your friend Sammy. We are joined by uh, a dear friend, uh, somebody who's been part of the community for a number of years. Uh, Sammy, Sammy had to investigate uh, something afoot in the hills of West Virginia. There was a baby oil transport that had toppled over gotten hijacked so he's he's there in the mountains looking at things but uh, with us today we got good friend of the show metal george george welcome back man thank you so much for having me it's it's a it's a joy to be here i know it's it's gosh it's got to have been how many years would you say uh i think it was 2015 i was i was on oh man i feel old that's (laughs) (laughs) that feels like it wow eight like We're talking eight years, like this, blink of an eye. You're telling me, <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, it was that's because I think I, I interviewed interviewed you guys shortly before that, maybe earlier that year, or maybe late 2014. Yeah, that's right. Then, yeah. Wow. Uh, for maybe listeners that aren't aware, what uh, what sort of creative endeavors do you get into? What what are some films that really light your fire? Um, and I, I sort of started with music. Um, uh, uh, I used to write for Metal Maniacs magazine as an editor. So like movies didn't come along like till later on. Like I sort of watched the same movies uh, relentlessly as a kid. So like I sort of like it was exploitation that really like lit my fire in like I don't know mid two thousands uh, or early two thousands um, to really delve deeper into like the the genre stuff that I liked as a kid that I had sort of a surface level appreciation of. Um, and like once I discovered Italy, there was no turning back. Like Italy, Italy was number one. And I just like dove into, into, into pasta and, until I couldn't dig anymore. Yeah. That's uh, Italy and Japan are the two that always seem to really um, spark that with people. Right. It's uh, 
They're just, yeah, their output. They, they've walked that tightrope so well over the years um, from the sleeves to the class. So, you know, it just, uh, yeah, it's wonderful. And it's great. We live in an age where there's so many options and so many titles available uh, through Italian genre cinema, even on streaming services like Criterion has a bunch of DeLeo jams. Um, Arrow's streaming site, which I'm going to keep repping for here. I, I signed up uh, a few weeks ago and I've been loving it. Um, they got a ton of Italian stuff, ton of giallos, uh, some Euro crime stuff. So it's, yeah, it's a, what a time to be alive. Have you have you heard of cult picks, Will, from, uh, I think they're from Sweden? I have not. Is it with an the, X or with it's, yeah, with it, yeah, it's C-U-L-T-P-I-X. Like they have, they just made their streaming services available in North America. Um, and I, I think all of North America, but, uh, I think they're run by the club super eight, or at least they're associated with them maybe in somewhere, but they were like a Swedish, like exploitation cult, uh, streaming, uh, platform that was until now, like unavailable here, but I might sign up for that. Cause it, 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 I think it's only six sixty six a year. Um, and they have some really like, and I think they do like theme weeks, like they would do like you know like made for TV movies or and 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 just sort of, just sort of like shine a light on like whatever theme for, you know for the week. But um, they have some they dig pretty deep with their titles. Wow, I never heard of them. Um, do you, are they sort of like because I guess there's different approaches, right? We live in an age where the art of the streaming service uh, is just that it's, it's an art, right? Where some people. Like if they're putting out, say, a TV show, they'll dump everything on at once. Other ones will kind of dole it out over time to keep sort of sustained interest. Or some like movie, their titles, I believe, every 30 days, they completely replenish. I know yeah. Christian adopts a bit of a format like that, as does Arrow. So how do they how do they do that? Like, do they, you know, have rotating titles or is it just sort of um, like little mini programs or festivals that are featured on the site? Do you know, or I feel, I feel like they rotate. Uh, like I haven't signed up yet, but like the vibe I, I get reminds me of when vinegar syndrome had their, had their streaming service for a while. Yeah. Like that's, that's the vibe I get. Um, but it, it, it looks cool for, for sure. I'm just taking a quick peek here. And I do want to say too, just on the arrow site, it looks like they've adopted a lot of the vinegar syndrome stuff, which is awesome, which is awesome. Like, I, again, I hate to say this because I do love physical media, but uh, I'm just at a point where with with two kids playing sports and and, and wanted to, you know, do some traveling and stuff with them. I had to take a bit of a physical media I had to take a bit of a backseat for me. So yeah. um, with these companies offering streaming services like it's it's incredible. I've just been kind of gorging on them. Right. But um yeah, I'm looking at this now, and it's it looks pretty deep, man. Like some of yeah, the you know stuff, even like '80s kind of comedies. I saw like Cheech Marin Shrimp on the Barbie. There's you know Mondo stuff, burlesque, martial arts, nudie cuties. Um, yeah, it looks like Theme Week. It's it's Doris Doris Wishman and Arn Madison this week. So yeah, very cool, man. Very yeah. very cool. Um, nice. Um, yeah. So that's I'll be looking into that. Um. I would obviously suggest our friends do the same. Uh, what, uh, George, I know it's been a while. What are some things you've watched lately that have really, really uh, sparked, really, you've really dug? All right. Um, well, my my recent watches, uh, let's see. Well, yesterday um, I did a rewatch of the Muppet movie with my son. 
Nice. Um, Ghostbuster. Yeah, the Ghostbuster. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, and, uh, I mean, Muppets were huge to me, and they, and they still are. And he seemed to like it. Um, I think my wife and I went to go see it when they did a Fathom event like a, on the big screen a number of years ago. And, like, the, the, I think within the first, like, few notes of the Rainbow Connection, I just the waterworks come, you know? Oh, yeah, man. Um, but yeah, I mean, I love the cameos. Uh, it's just, I never get sick of watching them up. So that, so that was fun and, and my son seemed to like it. So that was good. Um, uh, before that I cracked open the, um, Sonny Chiba box set from Shaft Factory and I watched the Yakuza Wolf. Nice. That's a good one. That's a grimy one, man. I was, it's, it's, uh, I was commenting to my wife, like there's so much, intense like handheld photography in that one yeah um, it it just felt it was just oh it was so kinetic and energetic and it never stopped and it was violent and nasty um sunny chief is one of my favorites so like i'll watch him in anything but um that was a first time watch for me um so i i, I quite liked it how many films are in that uh, box set i think there's five there's two yakuza wolf movies there's the samurai reincarnation that he did. Yep. Um, there is, uh, and this is, and I think there's two other ones. One was an upgrade from it was a fantasy movie that he did. Um, it was it was in the 80s. I can't rec- I can't recall a title at the moment. Um, but uh, there's there's five total, but. Uh, most of them, apart from that one, were first uh, our first time watches for me, so I'm excited to crack into it. Very nice. Um, I also watched. I needed something light, sort of like under 90 minutes. Uh, it was late the other night, so I watched Big Bad Mama with uh, Andy Dickinson. And yeah, that's a fun one. It was fun, man. It, it, it's weird they had those like that that trend of like post Bonnie and Clyde quick and cheap like mama exploitation movies with like bloody mama and crazy mama and yeah. Two big bad mamas, you know. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was it's, it was fun, breezy, um, like typical Roger Corman fare. Who's um, one of my favorites. Um, I, it's his stuff in the seventies and eighties is so entertaining and easy to watch. Um, and like, there's always like these moments of pathos that they they insert like near the end. Uh, to sort of balance the exploitation like sleaze in in a movie like this, um, I'm not sure if it quite works because Tom Scarry is sort of like a cad in that movie. He's he's, he's no Warren Beatty. That, that's that that's for sure. Yeah. Um, but I, I I definitely liked it. And Andy Dickinson going that brave that late in her career, which he clearly didn't have to, with regards to to skin, was just incredible to me. You know, I, I agree. And it's funny, Angie Dickinson, I've always, I always thought she was beautiful. I always thought she was talented. Camera loves her. She's charming. Um, but I always kind of forget that she, she waited in the muck at that point in her career. Oh yeah. Which, uh, which at the time, I mean, you know, that's 50 plus years ago, right? So 50 years ago or 40, 40, 50 years ago. So it's like, it, it was a different time for women in films and that kind of risk could really close a lot of doors uh, if not received right. And it's such a kind of capricious uh, industry, right? So, I mean, 
Yeah, it's and then even even in something that's that's more high minded but still sleazy like uh, Dress to Kill. I mean, she she bears it in that too, right? Yep. So yeah, and I think that was when I was reading about it. I think she won some kind of award for like most cringeworthy nude scene in a film, and it's that's the sort of like caddy to to do that sort of thing. Like agreed. Uh, you know what I mean? But because I mean, it wasn't. I mean, it's, it's exploitation, sure, but it didn't feel sleazy and. You know, it's, if, if she felt that she wanted to do it, then more power to her, you know? Agreed. And I think that's one of those things where you said that is kind of uh, mean spirit to do that. Like if someone's going to do that, they're putting themselves out there. That's a, vul- that's a vulnerable thing, man. Like I'm sure if our, you know, people that are listening right now, if I, we said, hey, listen, like you got to do a nude scene in a film that's going to be seen by a lot of people. It, that's a tough thing, man. That's, of course. you know, it's, yeah. Yeah. so no, it's, uh yeah, good for her though, man. I mean, Liz Ashley does a similar thing in the movie we're talking about today. So. Oh yeah, which which I was quite surprised about, to be honest oh. with you. It, it adds to the the stark kind of uh, feel of that scene, right? Totally. Yeah. Um, more serious note, I watched uh, Eloy de Iglesias' Murder in a Blue World. Oh yeah, this is a good one. I only saw it within the past three or four years. It's it's really good. Yeah, it was, it was a first-time watch for me. There was something I was meant to watch. Um, I remembered it making the rounds on that Substance, the cheapo DVD company back in the day. And I knew it was cut, so I never bothered to watch it. Um, so to watch it, um, I think it was Calden Films put it out on blue. Um, to watch it on blue, um, looking fantastic. It, it, it makes the, the cinematography, which is already incredible, look that much better. And the commentary track from Kay Ellinger, I, wa- I listened to about half of it. That was also really good. Um, and it gets labeled as a clockwork orange knockoff. And that's a little unfair. It's not quite that. There's, there's more to it than that. Um, and Sue Leon is really good in it. Um, yeah. No, just overall, an excellent first-time watch. Yeah, it is. And it's it's funny, a film like that is done so much service by being uh like remastered uh by being uncut by yeah just the presentation right and yeah it's weird people not weird i guess but people do tend to um say clockwork orange but eloy de la iglesia is a is a very good filmmaker right did a number yes yeah i mean i was familiar with cannibal man prior to this and I watched No One Heard the Scream a couple of years ago when um I think uh, Severin put it out on disc. That's a good one. Yeah. And I think, didn't he do those teenage delinquent? Um, yep. Pico. Yeah. I have that box. I still haven't cracked into it. It's the kinky set. Yeah. I, I, I bought it when it came out. I still haven't opened it. <laughs> no, that's uh, that's a, the, something, story of a lot of us, I think, right? Yeah. <laughs> Just chomping to get and... Yeah, it sits there. That's the way it goes. Yeah. Anything else you've seen that really you really dug lately? Uh, I have a few more. Um, I uh, I rewatched Weapons of Death last night. Nice, Leonard Mann. Yeah, man, I always like seeing Leonard Mann in in, in a flick. Me too. Um, yeah, and, and that one's it's 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 a pretty fair banger from from the Euro Crown genre. I, I I think. I completely agree. It's got some pretty good stunt work. I think there's one involving a truck, a transport, or something. Or yeah, I think man does his own his own. I think uh, that's his, that's actually him on top of that moving train or moving truck, or whatever. Yeah, I believe so. And I agree. I think that's one of those ones that 
people don't mention when they first talk about good titles, but it's uh, it's a good one, man. And then, like you said, and we talked about when we covered Cut and Run, man, I don't think gets his flowers enough because he's he's always a uh, a good leading man, right? He's just he's he's competent, he's likable, he's he has a certain class to his performances. Uh, you know, he's good. Yeah, yeah, he's he's I I I liked him in that uh, the Night School that Boston shot slasher from the eighty one or eighty two. That's a good one. That's a good yeah. One. Went up with like a merry go round or something. Yeah, like, like that one. That one's I always makes my shortlist of like American Jolly. Yeah, I agree with you. That one is I Canadian, actually. Actually, isn't isn't that for Canadian? Uh, I thought it was American, but I could maybe it's Canadian. It might yeah. be Canadian, but shot in Boston. I'm, I, cause I, I think someone corrected me on that once because I was thought it was American, but it's not. Yeah, no, it's a fun one, though. And I remember I saw that in New Year's Evil around the same time. And I I'd thought I'd kind of gotten a cold heart when it came to, to Slashers. I hadn't seen because I thought I'd seen most of the good ones, but I'd seen those two and it kind of redeemed my faith in uh, the Slasher. Like as far as ones I hadn't seen and having expectations, right? Yeah. Oh, that's cool, man. Um, and only uh, two more here. Um, uh, first time watch for Sugarland Express from Steven Spielberg. Nice, nice. I, I really, I really liked this one. Uh, I really liked it. Um, Goldie Hawn was excellent. Um, I, I like seeing William Atherton in, in the lead. Um, a lot of people know him from Ghostbusters, but he has a he has a, he has a, a likability here. Um. And uh, you can totally see, like, the craftsmanship on – even at this early stage in Spielberg's career, I think he'd only done Duel and maybe Columbo uh, prior to this. Yeah. Um, and maybe maybe something evil, that TV movie he did. Um, but, yeah, it's – there there is there are some shots and moments in here where it's like this it's this is way – this he's, he's punching uh, over his weight class for, for talent. Like that, 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 that's for sure. It's funny, we, we covered Sugarland Express way, way back on episode 271 of the show. Wow. We did that with uh, as a double with Cohen and Date. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, it's a good one for sure, man. I, that's, that's one thing I, as I've gotten older, I do appreciate the craftsmanship. Um, I think as a, not an angry young man, but, you know, when we're younger, we're a little harder and... Uh, I kind of bristled at his sentimentality in films, but but he is a good filmmaker. The craftsmanship is is superb. Oh yeah, like it's it, it, in other hands, it definitely would have went more into exploitation territory. It it doesn't it never it never gets that mean or dirty. Um, but uh, but yeah, and there's still that that like you said, there's that sentimentality near near the climax of the film where it tugs at your heartstrings and stuff, but. Um, I think, yeah, yeah, like you said, as I get older, that's not really unwelcome for me, you know, especially after I, I had kids, you know, that changes everything. Like, yeah, I can't handle too many gut punches like I used to. Oh, yeah, it's hard. <laughs> uh, and other than that, um, the only thing I've been watching, I've been watching a lot of um, BBC ghost stories from the 70s because I had watched that Darkland Days and Woodland Bewitched uh, folk horror doc. Oh, yes. And, and they mentioned Mr. James and uh, all the stuff. They sh- I was I went down the rabbit hole of watching a bunch of the uh, the shorts that they developed off his short stories um, in the 70s on the BB- on the BBC. So, um, so I watched a couple Ash Tree, Lost Hearts, and yeah, like that that doc didn't steer me wrong. That they're so atmospheric and so like it was. 
uh, revelatory uh, stuff for, for for sure. I was I was in love with it with with it for sure. That's cool. I know we have some friends that really dig that stuff. Uh, Brian Higgins, a few others I grew up with it that really adore it. I I haven't dipped my toe into those waters too much. I guess I probably should. Uh, I mean, they're sure. I think they're barely half an hour. You know, and still, it, it, you can you can watch a couple and see if they're for you, and really not not waste too much time. You know, if, if it's not for you, you can just jump off. You know, bite size. I like it. Totally. That's good. Uh, okay, cool, man. Uh, I'm still playing catch up, talking about stuff I watched from January, which is good, just because we're recording biweekly, right? So gives me a chance to build up some of the key because we used to have weeks where it was like life kind of took you by the by the horns and just you know twisted you around um i watched one uh on criterion channel i was you know sunday i was just looking for something kind of light that i could throw on and one thing that sucks and this is such a first world problem but one thing that sucks is I, I've noticed that I don't watch as many international films as I used to, and it's not for lack of wanting to, but a lot of times I'm pretty busy, and the kids have no aversion to subtitles. They've watched, you know, Bong Joon Ho stuff and Japanese stuff and a couple of things from Hong Kong and whatnot, Jackie Chan stuff, but um, we tend not to pick a lot of that stuff for whatever reason. Just, you know, I'll show them other things, right? But, uh, so when I'm kind of puttering around the house, maybe in the kitchen, uh, I'll throw something on, like a documentary or something that's not too demanding. So I threw on uh, this little Scottish charmer, Gregory's Girl. Have you ever seen this one? I have not. So this uh, this is a charming film. Uh, I'm, you know, it, it seems to have an audience. I think I played on cable a lot on HBO in the 80s. Um, kind of a coming-of-age story. Uh, this boy in Scotland, a uh, new girl comes to his high school and and plays on his soccer team and he he, he falls for her. Um, it just it's very likable. Uh, the, the lead's good in it. He's very kind of awkward and earnest. One of the things that's really charming about it is he's so he goes to his little sister for advice. I think he's like 11 year old sister. He just doesn't know what to do, how to woo this girl. And he goes to talk to his sister and they have a pretty genuine relationship and and yeah it's just it's cool to see 80s scotland on film because it's not something unless you're actively looking for it you tended to see a lot right so oh yeah i mean did yeah. you just, yeah for sure i liked it man it was it was good like i said just kind of a light light well done thing um next up william uh, our oldest wanted to watch zoolander which i hadn't seen in many years holds up as well as one could expect you know mm-hmm. there's stuff in it um yeah, I, I didn't even realize the second one was made. I'll have to check that out at some point because, yeah, I'm a fan of that one, fan of that. Uh, did a revisit of Silence of the Lambs, and I hadn't seen this since VHS. Nice. So this, like, I have a really deep admiration for this film now. Like, I always liked it. I always knew it was good. Uh, but I was probably 12 or 13 when I saw it last, right? So I couldn't appreciate it in the craftsmanship uh, that Demi brings um as much as i do now so yeah watch this just bowled over i mean i remembered some of the key stuff from it for sure but really really dug it um glad that i went back to it after so many years um what else did we watch then we watched we watched seven we were kind of on that you know bit of a run there uh what else did i watch 
Bastille Day, uh, Idris Elba film, uh, kind of a thrillery, actiony film. I I don't understand, and I think I said this maybe on the show last week, or I said it in conversation with someone. I don't understand how he's not like an A-list star. Mm. I just don't get it, man. I think he's fantastic. He's got all the tools. I, I think it was Sammy and I talking about it, but uh, crazy, man, crazy. Uh, next up is one I really, I really want to push. I think you've probably, I would suspect you've probably seen it. Um, but I'd never seen it all the way through. I'd seen bits and pieces and uh, it popped up and I was like, you know what? I'm going to watch this. I'm just in the mood for some Mickey Rourke and watch Charlie Davidson and the Marlboro Man. Have you seen this? I, I have, but not in a long time, but I, I remember liking it. So if anyone listens to our show and trusts my uh, opinion or taste on things i would really strongly recommend they they seek this film out if you haven't seen it or it's been years since you've seen it you gotta see it because if i was going to do a top 30 first time watch film this would absolutely be on there that was a cable watch for me but i i think i'm definitely due to due to revisit it it feels like it would have been a cable film um it's just it's uh it's one of those films that, yeah, you know, it's, I saw posters and, you know, I was kind of aware of it, but it's so fun. Mickey Rourke and Don Johnson are just great together. They got fantastic chemistry. Um, Chelsea Fields in it, Daniel Baldwin, who's probably the weak link. Giancarlo Esposito, Nessa Williams, Robert Ginty, Tom Sizemore, Tia Carrere, uh, Julius Harris. Big John Studd is in it. Yeah. Branscombe Richmond, Kelly Hughes, Sven Oli Thorson. I mean, it's just got, for people like us that, that love genre film, what a cast. And here's the thing, man. If you've ever wanted to see John Carlos Esposito, Big John Stud, Mickey Rourke, and Don Johnson pull off a heist, this is your film. And I think Big John Stud should be part of every heist. I agree. I agree. He's not very subtle, but he'll... Uh, <laughs> He'll get the job done. But no, this is a fun one. Simon Windsor uh, is he directs this with sort of a winking eye. It, it you know, it's very much uh, aware of macho action tropes. Uh, it's this kind of sort of hyper stylized fantasy world they live in. Um, I loved it. I just think it, it was so fun. I, I really strongly recommend uh, people check it out. It's just super fun, super pacey. Just dudes hanging out, you know, kicking ass. It's awesome. Really, really good stuff. Um, what else have I watched? I watched Boss Level. This was a family watch. I think my wife picked this one. Uh, Vincent Grillo, Mel Gibson. It's kind of like the action version of Groundhog Day. It's sort of a video game influence. Um, it's it's fine. Um Grillo's just totally just turned up to 11 in this. He's very Vince Gr- uh, Frank Grillo in this. Uh, Gibson's great as always in stuff he's he's in, small or not. He's he's fantastic. Um, and I think uh, one last one I'll talk about uh, HBO documentary Displays Rules. Have you heard of this one? I've only heard the title, but I don't know what it's about. This is pretty pretty fascinating. Um, Andrew Callahan, I guess he, I don't know if he does like, he's in the daily show or he's, um, 
he's involved with a few different outlets, but he travels across the United States in the months leading up to the January 6th attack on the U.S. Capitol. Okay. And it kind of reaches a fever pitch. Um, it's it's wild. I mean, it's so it's it, you know what? It's sort of like um, like Louis Thoreau. If you're watching Louis Thoreau stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, or like Borat, but without him being like an overt character where, he, you know, people open up to him and he kind of plays straight man. And um, yeah, it's we're living in we're living in wild times, man. I don't want to I don't want to offend anyone, but it just it's mind boggling uh, what we see on display. Just just mind boggling. But it is an interesting documentary. So. Yeah, uh, that's it. I'll save uh, the rest of the stuff for later on. Cool. I, I looked it up. The other a couple of the other movies in that Sonic box set were Shogun Shadow, um, and I thought it was Legend of the Eight Samurai, but that's I don't think that's on the set. Hmm. That's the one I was thinking about. Have you seen that one? I think it's 85, that fantasy movie he did. No, I don't think I have. I was I caught that in one of those cheap box sets, and that's that, that one always stuck with me. It's like Big haired Sonny Chiba going like full like eighties martial arts fantasy movie. I'll have to check that one out. You gotta what, what was that title again? I'm gonna put it on my watch list here. Uh Legend of the Eight Samurai. It has a cool synthy soundtrack and some like some pop rock hits on it. It's this is one song that he keeps playing over and over again through the movie. Oh wow, and it's directed by Kinji Fukusaku. Yeah. What a cast. Uh, it's, it's, yeah. Too. Wow. This going on the watch list, man. Looks like this is available through a few outlets. Right? I think it might be public public domain because I, I always, maybe at one time it was because I caught on one of those cheap like Sunny Chiba box set, like, not like a, like two discs, like two movies on each disc sort of deals, you know. Yeah, yeah. No, this is on Tubi down here. Or there up, you go. So. That's yeah. Listen, I'm always game for Chiba. That's for sure. There's always room for Chiba. Always, always. Hey, um, I have a serious question for you, George. Hit me. Do you know what time it is? Well, I have a sundial collection in this kitchen, and um, I think it's time for this or that. It is time for this or that. It is time for this or that. Can I have a few from Georgie and a few from me? George, do you want to uh, you want to read yours? I'll read mine. Maybe we'll go, I'll match you. I'll go four and four. Uh, yeah, let me see if I can pull them up here. In the meantime, why don't I pick one of mine then? Yeah, I do. Give you a few seconds to kind of, uh, Lorenz Tate or Mackay Pfeiffer? <sighs> Let's see, um, go with Pfeiffer on this one. Nice. But I, to, to, to be, if I'm being honest, I don't really have a dog in this fight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go Tate, man. I like both. 
I think Pfeiffer's probably had a little more longevity. But Tate had some early performances I really loved, like Menace of Society, Dead Presidents. Oh, yeah. Um, he was in, <laughs> I don't know how great it is now, but the Frankie Lyman biopic. Oh, yeah, well. yeah. I forgot about that one. Yeah, yeah. So, But I like both. I think both didn't get enough work, uh, enough sort of good work. Um, did you get yours up? Yeah. Um, Romano Pupo or George Eastman? I got to go Eastman. I love me some Pupo, but I feel like he's punching up literally and figuratively a few weight classes when he gets in the ring with uh, with Georgie Boy. Pupo is always a welcome addition to any film he's in, but George is, is if not on the Rushmore for us, then he's he's close, man. What about you? Yeah, you said it. I mean, like, I always like seeing uh, the Pupo show up. He has a presence. He has the stoicism. Yeah. Um, and he always delivers, like, this menace, you know, as um, when called to do so. But um, Eastman's more versatile. Um, uh, it, it, even in, I think, Emmanuel's Revenge, he's, like, at the mercy uh, and it's it, it, this prisoner behind this wall, and he's he's able to be. Um, I think he's even. Um, I watched him recently in Delirium, Photos of Gloria with Serena Grandi, and he's sort of like the romantic interest in that one. Nice. So she's able to, yeah. She's quite easy on the eyes. <laughs> yeah, to say the least. <laughs> <laughs> Nice. You know, I wish Pupo got a chance to do something in a lead role, man. Like, just to use that stoicism, just, you know, like some, you know, maybe not death wishy, but yeah, I just, I wish he uh, had had a chance to shine a little more. Totally. You know, he, he, um, there were so many, like, post-apocalyptic Italian joints, I think a man called Rage, with, like, sort of actors that weren't Pupo's class, that he could have easily taken that lead role for like a late 80s sci-fi romp and done probably a better job you know oh yeah yeah i don't doubt it man i don't doubt it um golden harvest pictures or canon pictures oh, oh my god <laughs> uh, i wish they had a, a pm or canon and i love pm but canon's got a little more yeah different. yeah um canon was part of my youth um, Canon was part of home video. Canon was part of HBO. Um, I love Golden Harvest. Um, I like the Golden Harvest collabs. I, I came to Golden Harvest maybe later in life than Canon, for yep. better or worse. For better or worse. Um, so the nostalgia in me would probably have to go Canon, but that's taking nothing away from from Golden Harvest. Yeah, I don't think there's a wrong answer here, right? Like. I I feel the same as you. Uh, I was a Canon first, and then a little later, Golden Harvest. Um, I'll take Golden Harvest, but but that's not taking away from. Uh, ironically, Golden Harvest was in on Death Wish too, man. There you go, Kismet. Yeah, there you go, there you go, for real. Wow, so they did it together. Two two uh, like-minded studios. Was was Golden Harvest the the co the co-producers on um, Legend of the Seven Golden Vampires? Was that them? Yeah, hey. they they did do a lot of that stuff. Yeah, they would work with um, Western studios and and yeah, pump stuff out. So yeah, no, there you can't go wrong though. I mean, yeah, good stuff. Uh, what what you got? 
Gerard Depardieu or Jean-Paul Belmondo? I love Jean-Paul Belmondo. However, I really love Depardieu. For me, Depardieu, at least sort of stateside and by extension in Canada, I think there's this misconception that he's this bumbling Frenchman because of the the roles he would play over here. Um But if you go back and look at his work in the 60s and 70s and even the 80s, pound for pound, I don't think there's a better French actor through that time. And that's including Delon or anyone. In my opinion, Deborah is the best actor for that 30-year block. He gets my money. You'll have to send me some recommendations because I'm woefully underschooled in in his filmography. I totally will, man. Uh, To me, like the best way I can describe him is... He's like a De Niro, like a like a prime De Niro. Mm-hmm. You know, he's, oh. he's worked with Tavernier and and Blyer and a few other filmmakers. Yeah, I'll send you a list if you remind me when we're done, man. I'll send you like a handful to dig into because I just think he's such a, a force of nature, and he he wasn't afraid to um, kind of make fun of himself. Right, he didn't have vanity in that sense, and. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but Belly, listen, not taking anything away from Belmondo because yeah. by all accounts, <clears throat> Belmondo was as good off screen as he was on screen. Like, you know, decent guy, um, did his own stunts. He uh, he was just, he was incredible, man. He was like uh, Jackie Chan, Tom Cruise, any of these guys, right? Just, you know, larger than life, man. Have you seen? I mean, um, uh, I mean, uh, Belmont. I'm going with Belmondo on this one. But have you seen uh, Fear Over the City with him? Love it. Oh I my God! Meant to pick it for the show uh, recently, and I, I didn't. I missed. I mistook. Um, uh, was it La Marginale? I think that was great too. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, I mistook that one for Fear in the City. Uh, and yeah, no, good stuff, man. It's it's yeah. got a little more edge to it, right? That's one with the like the serial killer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a good one, man. I love that his movies are getting getting nice Blu-ray releases here. Uh, you know, uh, overdue. Oh, I agree, man. I totally agree. Um, a couple more here. We'll do a couple more each. Uh, Chris Sarandon or Brian James? Oh, oh my God. It's funny, like my wife and I just watched Chris Sarandon in The Princess Bride the other night because she she had never seen it. Oh, he's so good, man. He's really good. Um, and I, I love him in Fright Night. Oh, he's so good in Fright Night. Yeah, he's he's and um and the Sentinel. I like I like him in that in that I too. I love Sentinel. I prefer Sentinel to Rosemary's Baby, man. Uh, the Sentinel is is one of those movies where like um I I read it. I mean I I watched it, liked it, read the book. Like love the book and then like the movie even more because of the of, of the book. Um, and uh, but Brian James is always like I always it's always a welcome sight. Oh, this is tough. <laughs> Brian James what, kind of waddles more in the muck than Chris Sarandon does. Yeah, he does. <laughs> um, but I gotta go with Sarandon on on on, on this one. I think that's fair, and I think I'm with you on this. I, th- 
I think that James is a very likable presence in films, even when he's playing a heavy, like we were glad he shows up. But I think I got to go Sarandon. He's so diverse. Um, we were at a fan expo a couple years ago with the kids and he was very nice. Talked to the kids and the kids had seen him in like three or four things at the time, uh, like Shrek, Princess Bride, Child's Play and something else. Does he does he do a voice in uh, the Toy Story films, do you know, or I think he does. I, yeah. I can't pick, I can't recall I which one. I feel like he does, too. But he anyway. So just in that moment when I was like looking through his filmography to see what they'd seen him in, I was like, oh, my God, you guys have seen him in so many things. He is so diverse. And I don't know if he does theater more or he kind of stepped back uh, for whatever reason. But he is a quality, quality actor that, I, again, I just don't feel gets the acclaim that um, that he should, because anything he shows up in, he's fantastic. He just delivers. Have you ever seen speaking of. This is a film I caught, I don't know how many years ago now, but it's a nasty, nasty film. Have you ever seen Lipstick? That's been on my on my on my like want list. And I always I always mean to pull the trigger. And because I have you're not the first person to tell me I have to watch Lipstick. And I I have actually the soundtrack to Lipstick on vinyl. Oh but, no way. But uh but not the um I've never seen the film. It's it's good. It's a bruiser. That's what I hear. Yeah, it's a bruiser for real, but Sarandon is he's very good in the role. I mean, he's not very likable, but he's he's very good in the film. So, yeah, lipstick uh, with the Hemingway sisters, him and Bancroft, Perry King. It's it's a uh, it's a good one. It's not one for family movie night at the Smith House. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> OK, uh, Mimsy Farmer or Carol Baker. I'm uh I'm a Mimsy man I think. She Yeah, she she kind of channels that Mia Farrow vibe a little bit. Um she's not for me like, you know, my Valentine or anything, but I was kind of late to the Mimsy Farmer game and uh, as far as realizing who she was seeing her in films, right? And She's always quality, man. She can she can carry a film. I think she's great. I think Carol Baker's good too, for sure. But Mimsy's rock solid, man. She she's carried some films and roles that, in lesser hands, would would come off as very screeching and mm. and just wouldn't work. They're both sort of typecast, right? Like Carol yeah. Baker did those did those Diali with uh, Umberto Lenzi, where she sort of typecast as well. She formally typecast as sort of this vamp, this sort of like the sex siren. And she goes to Italy and makes these sort of the hysterical you know, gialli. And then Mimsy is sort of typecast in the same way, doing these sort of like women losing their grip on reality sort of pictures. Yep. You know, like Perfume and the Woman in Black. And then I think she was in – she was also sort of like a swinging 60s sort of actress before she started doing more serious stuff like more I think it's Barbet Schroeder. Yep. Um, and uh, the one that I've had but never watched, which is Road to Selena – um, seen that. I guess no. I think it's similar to more, but again, I've had that disc forever and never watched it. But yeah, I'm 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 absolutely team Mimsy on this one. Yeah, man. Doesn't she? Didn't she do? Not didn't she? But what was the? I always mix it up. Was she in Cat and Nine Tales or Four Flies? She's on Four Flies and Grey Velvet, right? Is she in Four Flies? Or am I mixing her up with someone now? 
That's a, good, that's a good question. I'm going to check right now. <laughs> I, I know she's in body count from Lady Seven. It is Mimsy. It is Mimsy. I'm it right. Is, all right. Good, good, good. I was beginning to question myself. That's a fun one, man. That's yeah, a I, that's I, Argento that doesn't get enough uh, enough ink spilled about it, I think. No, for sure. It's, it, it, it's something that it's one that I watched early on when I, when I was devouring everything Argento, but um, I've rewatched maybe less than, than a Deep Red or Kid of Nine Tales that I need to, to rectify that. Yeah, his early stuff, I mean, we all celebrate you know, his later stuff, right? But his early stuff so clean and in terms of the, the technical stuff and they look good. They're just, the, the composition's great. Mimsy's awesome. She's one of the leads in that film. And, uh, and that, that one has like Bud Spencer too, right? Yeah, man. Yeah, yeah. it's a good one. It's a good one yeah. for sure. Um, okay. Uh, let me go one more here. Uh, I'll, I guess I'll see your your Mimsy Carol one, and I'll ask you, uh, Selma Hayek or Sarita Chowdhury? This might be unfair to Sarita, considering her body of work isn't as big, but. Yeah. Um, just, uh, it, it's hard to argue with with the longevity of, of Selma Hayek they, they, and how diverse uh, stuff she's done. And again, she's also one of those welcome presences that's like, when I see Salma Hayek in a movie, it's, it's, it's sort of like I'm intrigued no matter what sort of like the premise is, you know? Um, yeah. I, think, I, have to, I have to go with Salma on, on that one. So I love Salma. I really, really do. And I'm with you. And I think that she's a good sport, right? Like she's done some genre stuff. Like what do you remember? Totally. Do you remember that? Uh, it's like an adult fairy tale. Oh, it's got a crazy cast. She plays like. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I just had, had to write about that movie, but I can't think of what it's called. It's a fun one, and again, yeah. such a good sport. But I got to say, man, I watched Mississippi Masala for the first time um, earlier, like in 2022, mm-hmm. and I always really loved Sarita Chowdhury, but she is so good in that film. Um, again, I think she's a big what if, man. Like, she's done some stuff. Like, she'll pop up in some stuff. I remember seeing her in, like, Kama Sutra. <laughs> <laughs> you know a few other <laughs> but mostly Kama Sutra uh I was 16 ah. formative years uh yeah just burned in my brain but I, I just I, I, wish... I, I, I could, yeah I could use you wax poetic about about many a skin and max character actors so. 100% 100% <laughs> but I feel like when I saw her in Mr. Bimasal I was it was such a revelation and I was like man why did she get to make more films because you know, I, I don't want to delve too far into that, but God, she was talented and she's got a really fun criteria, like criterion closet where she, she goes in the closet and picks out her films. Um, yeah. But anyway, both are good. So yeah. yeah. All right. That's, uh, that's this or that. We're going to take a short break and come back. Talk about paperback hero. We will be right back. My phone blowing up cause I've been missing for days I'm just flowing through these waves My torso covered in suede Six back to back Cadillacs Looking like astronauts Don't wind me up, I have Shaq Pop out the jack in a box The tree ratchets in his jean jacket, bitch Don't even try to tell me how off the meat rack I'm is You know the vibe from slow motion Like I'm sniffing activists Till I explode off the turnbuckle And cripple half your shit you know, bam, bam, savage as fuck. Uh, Ride with two pumps uh, like Michael Chang shoes. Uh, Till I see angels, uh, I see the world from all angles. 
And from a thin thread my soul dangles Just like a mango Alpha Bravo Looking like your boy just won the lotto But then drowned every dollar in a bottle And put a bunch of junk in his arm and his nose And in between his toes Cause feeling good's the only thing he knows Shit Okay, ladies and gentlemen, we are back. Time to get into uh, one that's a little off the beaten path. Um, but it felt like it was going to maybe, we we're going to get some good conversation out of it. It's 1973's Your Pearson directed Canadian Jam, Last of the Big Guns, starring Keir Delea, Elizabeth Ashley, John Beck making his return to the show seemingly after about a month or so. Uh, Dale Haddon and uh, a cast of others. So uh, let's be clear. This is not the Hugh Jackman paperback hero. <laughs> no. This is a very different film. Um, I picked this one. Like I said, I thought, uh, I can't remember where I'd read about this. You know, it was one of those that maybe on Letterboxd or I don't know. I read about it somewhere and. It sounded fascinating. It sounded like it was going to really yield some some interesting conversations. So uh, I'm going to defer to you, my friend, as the guest. And I'm very curious to get your thoughts on uh, Paperback Hero, a.k.a. Last of the Big Guns. I prefer the title Paperback Hero for what it's worth. Uh, as do I. And this was um, – <clears throat> I hadn't heard of this um, before you, you you picked it for the show. Um, I'm glad you picked it because I, I, I didn't have to show my hand yet, but I, I had a lot of fun watching this one. Um mm-hmm. You know what we should do, George, and forgive me for interjecting. Sure. I'm going to synopsize this because that's yeah. important here. So a hockey player in a small town begins to lose his grip on reality and starts to believe that he is a gunslinger in the Old West. So, yes, I read that and it sounded very tempting. So now I'm going to kick it back over to you. Sure. Uh, that synopsis is it, – it's not it, – I read that and then I went into it. And then that synopsis sort of made sense towards the back end of the film, but didn't quite just read it on paper is not quite what this film is right. um, to me. This film is more of a, a small town snapshot, which are sometimes the most interesting snapshots, you know, that can get lost in the hustle and the bustle of big city stories. You know, um, uh, it feels unashamedly Canadian in the best sort of way. Yeah, it does. Um, where, whereas you have, this is, I think, pre-tax shelter era. Um, yeah. yeah, it is. I thought it was, it would be a tax shelter film, but yeah, this is, and I, and forgive me, I should know this. I'm going to get my, my, uh, my maple credibility is going out the window here, but it's like the tax shelter stuff came three or four years later. Yeah. And so, and this isn't one of those films that's sort of trying to hide its locations or hide its characters or hide its accent. It's proud of all those things, and it wants to know that this is this is a small Canadian town. This is uh, it's a small town life, and this is a small man. Like Rick Dillon's kind of a shit heel. Oh man, is he ever? And the thing that I was wondering going into this film, and full disclosure, I think he does a great job. Uh, Keir Delea has always, and I'm going to say Keir Delea. Do you pronounce it the same way, or do you pronounce it differently? Because I've, I've never really. Um, I say Keir Delea, yeah. Okay, cool. So 2001, right, is the big one. I think most of us remember him most for if we had to pick one. Um, He's done other stuff, obviously, but there's always been sort of this. He's had a reputation as a 
an actor that uh, isn't very charismatic, I think, and for better or worse. And I think that that's probably an unfair criticism because he was asked to do very specific things in 2001. And uh, I'm happy to say that both him and Beck, who Rick and I criticized in um, Audrey Rose, <laughs> uh, they're both Audrey Rose. Audrey Rose. They're both fantastic in this film. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's that's an, an unfair critique of, of Delia because he's 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 also asked to be like I said he's asked to be very unlikable in this and he delivers that by being very unlikable but. That's also indicative of 70s cinema, where your protagonists don't always have don't always have to be clear cut good people. In fact, most often they aren't. They aren't. And that's what makes it so engaging. And and Rick and I talk about this all the time. But I watched Joe again at the beginning of the year. Uh, Peter Joe. Boyle film. So great. So great. That film's not getting made today. Oh no way! No way not getting made but it's a tremendous film and it's it's time as it's it's as timely as ever you know and a film like this like we don't need to we're not endorsing bad behavior or misogyny or racism or any of these things but i think it's important to shine a light on those things and a critical eye on these things sometimes to see how the other half lives and we're kind of losing the plot a bit as a as a society that um, consumes art as a way to understand each other when we're going to dismiss things because they seem hot button, right? Mm-hmm. So, oh, sure. anyway. Um, and yeah, like I said, like, like this, uh, uh, Rick Dillon, um, the character here is, 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 I mean, he's a horrible to women. He is incredibly uh, selfish. Um, and the sort of the the, the gunslinger uh, part of the the synopsis is more the fact that he's this big fish in a small pond, in a small pond. Like he's a local hero, he's a hockey hero. Um, he calls himself the marshal. You know, even though there is law enforcement in the town, that law enforcement is essentially castrated. Like he is the law because no one's gonna say boo to Rick Dillon. Yeah. Um, in this movie, you know. No, you're right. He, he's very, he's like the bully, like the town bully, the li- the live wire, right? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, before we go go, uh, go into the plot a bit more, the, uh, with regard to the credit, there was an interesting credit with the composer, um, Ron Collier. Um, he's a guy who, the, the name jumped out of me because he also did the score to another hockey-themed Canadian movie, Face Off, from the 70s that I always wanted to pick up, but, but never did. But he does the music here. It's not as memorable as, as his score for Face Off, but it's it's serviceable enough. I think Gordon Lightfoot is the more musical um, uh, takeaway from Paperback Hero here. Oh, big time, right? I mean, that song is is pretty well regarded the world over. And they when they finally dip in uh, to it, they, they go hard with it. But it's a uh, good piece of music. Yeah, the, the clear stuff. You know, it almost feels intrusive and out of place in spots. Yeah. You know, it's uh, I've never seen Face Off. I should Neither say. Neither have I. It, I, I the, the score has these, has these funky moves that I always like. It, it, it made me want to check it out. Um, um, but uh, like that name jumped out from from the credits because I don't think he has too many composer uh, other than these than those two films. I don't, I don't think, anyways. 
what way to way to uh, typecast the Canadian composer? He sco- he only scores hockey films. <laughs> yeah, he only scores hockey movies. Bit of a cottage cottage industry here, but that that one looks cool, man. Art Hindle, uh, John Vernon, yeah. others. Uh, wow, I gotta look into this one, man. Um, but yeah, it, it does open up with with uh, with Delia um, shooting off uh, some guns and stuff, and wearing it, looking like an old west sort of. Uh, cosplay almost if you will you know before john beck shows up and uh they go for a ride and right away you're with it when, when they when they talk about this um situation that uh delia had with the woman where he injured her and there's this there's this uh talk in the town and he needs to go smooth it over so right away we know that this character is not nice even though we're going to be following him for the next 90 or so minutes oh yeah yeah and i love that opening too it it kind of it's like um, dawn, right? The sun's coming up. Mm. It's uh, it's shot low to the ground and almost gives um, Leia this larger than life iconic stature, which is kind of a like the mythos of the the gunslinger, this mm. sort of titan, right? It's uh, it it really looks good because the rest of the film, until we get to the back end, is very um. And I don't know, I guess this is like maybe four, three or something, but um, it's shot really tight. And I, and I think it does a great job of conveying small town life, how people are always on top of each other in their lives because it's such a small town. Everyone knows everyone. Everyone's in everyone's business. No one has room to breathe. Everyone feels smothered. You're absolutely right. Like that, that the uh, it's just shot very tight. There's that scene early on with John Beck in his, in his little camper or mobile home where this little, where he lives, and it's there's this handheld camera following them back and forth as they're getting they're getting dressed, and it's very it's very tight and into what's going on. It's almost like right behind his shoulder. Oh yeah, and it's it's funny, you know, the way it's shot. And let's you know, I want to give a, a shout out here because the. I'm on the face-off credits. I'm not going to find what I'm looking for there. <laughs> um, the way it's shot, too, like there's some the nice over-the-shoulder stuff, like through the party, and yep, yep. it's it's not just kind of like okay, medium shot, medium shot, or or tight shot. It's uh, it's and this wow, it looks like uh, oh, okay, he worked quite a bit. Um, Donald Wilder is the the cinematographer, another Canadian, of course. Um, did some directorial work. He directed, uh, let me see. You know what? I'm bumbling around here. I thought he directed something. He, he didn't. Anyway, he, uh, he shot, he shot meatballs. Yeah. Which is great. Degrassi high. If you're Canadian, you got to shoot some Degrassi stuff. Um, but he, he worked quite a bit, but I, I like his, his, his camera work doesn't feel showy, but it, it never feels lazy. No, yeah, no, it, it definitely, yeah, no, Absolutely. Um, the, uh, the bowling alley scene where, where Delea goes to sort of smooth things over with, with, uh, the, 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 the lady that she has almost a broken arm because of, of what he did to her. And, uh, he sees her again and it's very telling the fact that the next, the scene after that is that they wake up in bed together, even though she was just moments away from calling the cops on him. Like this speaks to how much sway Delaya's character has over the people, especially the women um, in this town, but how eventually it, it's going to boil over and, and sort of come back to bite him. Yeah, it's remarkable how many scenes you think maybe he's going to have to pay the piper for what he does. Mm-hmm. 
and it never happens right and and that's the kind of thing just everyone's enabling that behavior in this very patriarchal society they you know that's some of the, the key things i like about this film uh the sort of toxicity of man of masculinity toxic masculinity small town life hero worship the sort of casual or the the normalizing of of you know domestic abuse uh all these things kind of meld together in this film uh quite effectively um elizabeth ashley's character is sort of a crux to this because she's she's out of all the 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 women who sort of come in and out of uh, of Delea's character's uh, life, she's sort of a constant because she wants him to ask her to marry, uh, to get married. She wants to have kids. She's in love with him, um, and she has a presence in this movie that's that's really hard to, hard to resist. She really like when 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 she's on screen, like my attention's focused. Even she even I think she outshines Delea in, in this one for me, anyways. Yeah, she's good. I think all the women are quite good. There's a it's funny to see the contrast in this one between the young men, um, because they're kind of portrayed a little differently than like uh, Big Ed and, and Burdock and so forth. But it's funny to see that contrast between the the young men and women in this, uh, because the men all feel like um, very juvenile, almost like these toxic kind of good old lost boys like Peter Pan, like they just refuse to grow up. They just want to drink and play games and grab ass and play sports and play dress up as cowboys. And they're quite content. And there's even a line in this that Delea says, so oh, I wouldn't want to move to the big city. Some of the effective, I don't want to move to the big city. No one's going to know me there. Everyone knows me here. And, you know, they quite revel in their, this sort of celebration of their, their masculinity and, and their exploits uh, in the, the hockey arena. And whereas all the women, there's this quiet urgency to get out of here. The walls are closing in. They feel smothered. They feel like there has to be a better way of life. And yeah. the guys are very quick to kind of snuff it out. They're quite content. It's, it's, uh, it's quite the, quite the contrast. And uh, the first time we see um, Elizabeth Ashley's character is, is in the bar where she, where she tea tends the bar and, and Delea walks in and he doesn't pay for anything, right? He doesn't, he doesn't pay for beers. He doesn't pay for snacks. He just gets gets off on the charm. And there's this, this little scene with them and he goes to sit down. But then there are these these younger, these young bucks who are in there who are trying to do the same thing. And uh, he gets he feels threatened by by this. And because he's you can tell he sort of sees his grip um as like head as this marshal of a town in jeopardy because there are these young bucks who are just going to continue the cycle of that he, that he's enjoyed for up until this point and then he gets in, into a fight but that I, I like that that scene really sets up his fall for me i think yeah agreed agreed and i, I just i like that scene because you do get the sense of him feeling threatened and he just he's always going to read it as a as a chance to to swing his dick and a chance to just um he feels threatened right and it just it speaks to that that kind of masculinity there's every everything is threatening to them and there's just this overt aggressive reaction to things he has he has the car like decked out like a, like a cop car because he's he's the law you know he's he's like i said he's the big swinging dick in the in the town even though 
you know, like Burdock is the sheriff, but he feels pretty much powerless in this. Yeah, he's he's uh, toothless uh, when it comes to Delea. And, and the other guys on the team, right? Like, should they have wished to to get out? He's a sheriff in name only. It feels. Oh yeah, for sure. You know, like and like we should say like that he's uh, um, Dylan Delea. He's he's part of a, a local hockey team. Um, and there is a scene later on in the film that's that that's really telling um, of how maybe the, these these guys could have been contenders for the NHL, but that window was passed. Yep. You know, there's 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 the New York, the New York Rangers jacket that makes an appearance. You know. Oh, I saw that, and they're all wearing kind of replica Montreal Canadiens jerseys. Yep. So I would have thought, being in the prairies in Saskatchewan, they would have rolled with the Winnipeg Jets, but. Uh, <laughs> That's how it goes. They're, 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 they're looking to be Habs, I guess. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't everyone in the 70s, man. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, let's see. Uh, well, uh, Delia and uh, Ashley have a really pivotal uh, and sort of risque for the time shower scene where yes. um, Ashley uh, puts it all out on the table in more ways than one. She, she asks him about marriage, but they're both very nude. And, and and it's um it's uh it's it's a very telling scene it's an honest scene and it's sort of it's definitely bold and there's this line where uh, Dylan asks her how come you never fight back um which is like it it's it's it speaks to sort of his he out of all of his conquests he sort of has this he feels that her character will always be there to fall back on it. She even falls, he even falls back on her later on when he, when he gets put in the clink and he has to get, get broken out. Yeah. I, I love that scene. Uh, admittedly, it's like you said, it's a very, very nude scene, um, which quite surprising for the times. Uh, clearly Delea, um, you know, did not subscribe to the no tan lines way of life. <laughs> no. You know, but that's okay. But but that scene's shot really well. It's it's in this kind of white tiled shower, and it, it shows the intimacy and the vulnerability. And then the scene turns ugly. And I think because of the nudity and the kind of the hard tile, and it, it just feels more visceral and 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 kind of cruel uh, and stark um, because of their nudity and being in the shower and being even more vulnerable. Oh yeah, it turns very ugly very quickly, and, and it, it's it's you've heard about, about about how he can be violent, but you you see it here, and then his reaction is it, it feeds into what you were saying about being so immature and just like this quote unquote good old boy, where he's he's not he's not shocked that he he strikes Elizabeth Ashley. He's, he's like, why are you acting that way? He's he he makes her like the bad guy, which is just so indicative of that sort of toxic behavior. Yeah, it is. It absolutely is. It's just it's wild to see. Um, and like I said, everyone from his own parents on down enable him if he's not being sort of petulant uh, and this entitled child. He's he's being that's at his best. Yep. Worst, he's being this ugly, abusive uh, lover. Right. It's yep. uh, it, it's it's a hard watch. And again, this is a 50 year old film, mm-hmm. you know, and it doesn't pull any punches. And he's consistent with that, even with with the Dale Haddon character. Like when, when whenever, like th- there'll be this this there'll be these moments of, of whenever he's challenged and he he strikes back, 
he did he, he then gets this like this he plays the victim even though he's being the aggressor with her and with pretty much everyone who dares to try and stand up to him from Burdock to to anyone who wants to to resist the marshal you know and that yeah that's the thing is it just he's he genuinely seems shocked genuinely seems yeah. that anyone would would speak against him or do anything in defiance of what he wants yeah like he has he has the gall even though. He has the gall in that shower scene to, to straight up compare conquests with Elizabeth Ashley, telling her, comparing her to, to Dale Haddon's character and uh, comparing them physically, comparing them sexually with, in such a callous way without any regard to her feelings whatsoever. That scene, that this scene um, exhibits that well. And there's a scene at a party that is similarly um, ugly and and just the same sort of sense of of uh entitlement that's just it blows the mind to see oh yeah he's he's upset because uh, davis is dating is, is seeing his sister yeah and he's he's not going to have her at that party he just he physically removes her from the party and then the very next scene he's like bottomless with dale haddon in like her, her father's house oh yeah he just picks them picks them both up over his arms over his shoulder Drags them out. It gets ugly uh, with the sister there. Yep. Um, and no one does anything. No one says yep. anything. Nothing. Um, and he has the gall later on to, to ask uh, Dale Haddon's help in like stopping the, the, the team from being uh, moved to being just, just broken up um, without any regards to how he's been behaving throughout the entire film. Yeah, because there's never a moment of reckoning for Rick Dillon, right? Like there's never a moment of reckoning. He's celebrated. So why should he, and this, this is always the case, you know, whether it's in Hollywood, wherever, uh, that behavior goes unchecked. We create monsters, right? It's, uh, you know, it's funny as a side note, I'm looking at one of the posters for this boy. Did they, uh, mismarket this? There's like this, this kind of uh, not a tagline, but it says at the top of the poster, Kira Delea and Elizabeth Ashley are as hot as pistols. <laughs> no. Uh, no. That's you're kind of no. Wow. Not, not you know, even even the main photo on IMDb. Every woman's had one. Every man's been one once. Doesn't quite sell. That's the way it the way it the way it plays out. Um. Because it, it implies that like a that a man might want to be this sort of shit heel even even once is, is is too much to be this kind of this kind of entitled bratty asshole. That's right. That's right. Exactly. But no, it's uh, yeah. Um. Yeah. But even even uh when uh they can't then when the team the team gets set up to play their last game. And they can't because it's 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 too warm and the ice is is, is melting. There's a riot, and uh, Delay's character just goes off the rails and just attacks it. It attacks Burdock, the police officer, and even then he's not vilified. No. Even then he's, he's sort of like, oh, it's just good old boys being being good old boys. It's, it's no, you you just ruining everything. Well, and also it's that response, that violent, destructive response to not getting what you want mm-hmm. collectively. There's a totally. brawl, it spills out into the stands. It's just this ugly, again, this ugly, ugly, 
uh, masculinity uh, presenting itself, right? Like, what's the response? Let's let's not have a discussion or work things through. Listen, I you know I, I play rugby, I lift weights. I, I there's a physical side to me, but I'd like to think that uh, th- <laughs> there isn't this kind of ugly masculinity, right? And it's just this this immediate response to to break and destroy with a, with a certain petulance is, is just, uh, it, it, it boggles the mind, but it, it just feels like it's so, it's so organic to uh, such an organic response to this kind of man. Mm-hmm. And like, I, it, it may be reaching a bit, but I felt like that, like the, the symbolism of that, of that, of that ice turning to water was sort of a symbolic of like the sort of just drowning in this, in this lifestyle, like it's 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 at that point in the movie, it's the writings on the wall where this is eventually it's gonna gonna he's gonna drown in this behavior and it's gonna eventually uh, catch up to him. Oh yeah, no, you're right. I think there's some really great stuff metaphorically in this film, and it's uh, and that is also absolutely that works wonderfully. Um, it, it, it's about here where the, the the sort of gunslinger metaphor starts to take hold a bit better for me. Because once uh, once Dale Haddon's character decides to, to leave town, um, Delea's Delea's uh, Dylan is so incensed, he chases down the bus that she's on, almost like a train robbery, right? Where he sticks uh, it up, he sticks it up like, like an old west gunslinger and just takes her off the off off the bus as if he was like a stagecoach. Yeah, it's a wild scene. He's just standing there, and just this indignant sort of. He's standing in the middle of the road. And he knows the bus is going to stop for him. Totally. He is, he, there's no doubt in his mind. No that, doubt. No doubt. No doubt. It's going to stop for him. And he's going to get on the bus. He's going to get what he wants. He's just waving a pistol around on the bus. Doesn't matter to him. No. And like, Delea does, does I mean, does a good job with, with his face. He has this, this shit-eating grin that makes you want to punch him. Oh, man. Does he ever. You know, so like it, it to say that he's sort of like uh, emotionless, it, it, it definitely doesn't. He's he's delivering it here, like he's doing what he's called on to do, and it, it, if it's to make me hate him, then he's doing a great job. Yes, yeah, he does. He is so good. He he feels unflinching in in what he wants. He's definitely yeah, he's definitely not flat, right? For yeah. sure. Um, but he does take her off the bus, and then they go to um to the sort of hideout almost. Uh, to, to continue with the, with the Western sort of symbolism. Um, and that has another, another great scene. Um, maybe another sort of pivotal scene where like, it's the only sort of moment of reckoning that he gets when, when Haddon sort of uh, con- confronts, confronts him on his behavior, how he's, he's kidnapped her, how he's taken her to this thing. And she starts to, to strip because she's like, was well, this the only thing that you want? Um, and she challenges him. She, she tells him how she's, he's this big fish in a small pond. But everyone's starting to laugh at him and not with him. And he, he gets this for a moment. It's the only time where he sort of breaks. And he says something to the effect of, well, this is all I have. And this is this is all I have. People know me here. I'm going to pay for a beer. Doesn't that mean anything to you? And he's sort of shocked that like, it doesn't mean anything to her. He feels like it should mean something to, 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 to her or anyone. And I, I, and 
I get that in a way. Like we all look back to sort of not glory days like this, but when we were young and, and virile or strong and we felt like uh, the world was our oyster. And, you know, you have your crew when you were when you were young, uh, when you're a young person and you feel invincible. Yes. That, but that's not this. This is different. Yeah, this is obviously different. I mean, it's it's the same for him. Right. Like it's it's his ugly version of that. Yeah. But it's. Yeah, it's it's not the same for most of us, but yeah, it, it's his version of that. But yeah, that seems fantastic because there's almost not even almost there's this weariness and going through the motion and a sort of demonstrative in her weariness and going through the motions feel of that scene. Totally. Is it okay? Fine, fine. Is this what you want? Like she's not playing along. She's not intrigued. She's not charmed by his, you know, boys will be boys attitude. It's done. People are like you. People are whispering behind his back. They're laughing, um, and it's it's boiling over, right? And he's he's losing his grip. And yeah, he says, "Hey, you promised, you know, you'd wait for me, Joe." And she says, "No, you shouted at me, basically, that I had to wait for you, or something like that." Like, yeah, just this this total um, lack of reality, right? Like how he perceives things and how reality is are completely different. You know, it it it's it sort of um it, it it ties into their their earlier um interaction too when like when they're when they're interrupted by her father and and she's like well couldn't we just like talk he's like well what do I, I've been talking to you all night you know or, or he says like um in that in the in the hideout scene like like that time you took me to to see was a play or something and we could have been screwing that whole time it's like that's all he cares about yeah you know um. But uh, she finally breaks free um, and he goes back to town. And it, at this point, this is the only time where I feel like the losing grip on reality uh, bit from the, the, the plot feels a little bit because um, he, he strolls into town like a gunslinger with his guns in the middle of town. But that's immediately broken by the tractor that just rolls behind him and says good morning to him. Yeah, it's kind of like life goes on, like everyone else is living their lives and he's you know, into the, the macho cowboy cosplay. And they like, oh, it's just Rick being Rick. Yep. Like, this is important to you, but in the grand scheme of things, it's no, one's, no one is going to remember Rick Doan, even though you know, you're about to enter and enter maybe a, a place from, from which you can't return. That's right. You know? And Elizabeth Ashley is there. I almost feel like she's wearing a comical kerchief. She almost... It, I wish he wasn't wearing that because it's almost too on the nose, almost like a like a mustachioed villain tying her on train tracks. Yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> it, but the fact that it's her with with him and not Dale Haddon uh, speaks to her willingness to be with with him with with him throughout it all. Um, that she really does love him, and she's trying to sort of dissuade him from this this course of action this this um this towing the line um but uh he's gonna have none of it he's gonna he's gonna be him until the very end uh no matter what happens yeah he's gonna go down with the ship man willingly because he doesn't know anything else or nor does he want to know anything else and i think that's all i have for notes Cool. Uh, I'll add a couple of things that have kind of chimed along the way. So, yeah, it's a very Canadian film. We spoke about one of the things early I like after that kind of when he's at dawn and he, at the beginning of the film is 
he cuts quite a shadow and it almost like with the shadow on his face it almost and i don't know if this is intentional or not or it's subconscious on my part but it almost looks like clint eastwood right with the shadow on his face the gunslinger the profile the hat um so it was kind of interesting for me yeah the profile for for a gunslinger and he has like he has that sort of like in the shat in the saddle stance when yeah. he's firing off the guns, I'm not sure how how, how tall uh, Caridley is, but he, he definitely has a has a presence. So I want to say this before I forget: this film is very hard to find. Um, so if people want to watch it, it's on YouTube. It is. You can check it out there. That's where we caught it. It's not yep. the greatest transfer, but it'll do. We've all seen worse. Mm-hmm. We've all seen, you know, fourth and fifth generation Greek and Danish VHS dupes and. Oh yeah. And other things like that. So this, you know, it's it's definitely very watchable, but it is on YouTube. Um, Double-brained subtitles, baby. What's that? Oh, yeah. Double-brained <laughs> subtitles, baby. Hard-coded subtitles, man. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so the score we mentioned, right? Like uh, some of the, the harmonica stuff's a little too kind of whimsical and it doesn't quite work for me, but they, they kind of get away from it, thankfully, after yeah. early on stuff. Like, I don't know if that was meant to convey, like, this freewheeling, good-timey sense that Beck and Delea have with each other, like, through their own eyes. But it might be. Maybe. I don't know. But it didn't quite work. There's times when they could have used less, and it could have been more spare, I feel like. I think, like, Lightfoot does, does the, the, the Lightfoot song does the heavy lifting. Like, the, the, the Collier stuff is more just sort of background background uh, stuff. Yeah, definitely. Um, it's remarkable to me as a guy. You're an East Coast guy, so I know – you know, and you dropped a few references early episodes, so I know you know a little bit of hockey. It's remarkable for me as as a guy who grew up in the '80s. I remember seeing Craig McTavish fly around with no helmet, but it's wild to see dudes playing hockey with no helmets. Oh, I mean, uh, I'm I'm a I'm a Bruins fan, so as you should be. I don't <laughs> hold it against you. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, just uh, like there's there's a yeah to see. People like, like Bobby Orr just like brawling with no helmet on it was, was wild when I was a kid. So many things can go wrong. Like I play hockey and I'll use that in the loosest sense because I'm not very good. But I, you know, I came to it late in life last year. I could skate a little bit, but not to sidebar this too much. But, um, you know, I play with all my rugby buddies and uh, we had a collision. It's, it's mixed, like, you know, husband, wives get out and just play some shinny and, I'll go for a skate, more about the social and the the suds afterwards, mm-hmm. uh, if people care to indulge. But I, we, we we collided, and I we both dropped to the dropped to the ground, got up. But I mean, it was just a whammo, right? And I can't imagine a stick to the face, hitting your head off the ice. Oh yeah, uh, a puck to the face, like just man, wild stuff. And the, the fact that like helmets were uh, before they were made uh, mandatory, like when they were still an option, there were still players. Who just yeah, I know I can, but I'm 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 not. I choose not to. I choose not to. Yeah, it's crazy to me, man. And the, like, none of the dudes, and it's it's apropos. None of the dudes in this wear helmets. Oh, there's no, there's not a helmet to be seen. No, no. Um, what else do we got here? Talked about the camera work. I love the use of shadows in some frames, right? Like whether it feels like things are closing in or there's sort of uh, a darker feel to a scene, whether it's through Delea's behavior or, you know, because Beck's kind of like, 
respects the slightly better behaved version of of Delea's character. Like he doesn't seem as as violent. Like he's he's not a great guy, but in, not, no. in comparison, he's more likable. Like he's you know he's not as as violent, kind of powder keggy as as uh, Delea's character. Um, but yeah, it's good use of shadows. Um, you know what this really feels like to me? It, it, it's it's more of a, an essay on male toxicity in small town, but I, I definitely get a feel of, and no disrespect to this film because it's not as well done, but very few films are. It feels a little bit like Last Picture Show to me in terms of that small town life and that urgency for some to get out and that that bitter realization that maybe you won't. I mean, that, 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 that trope, for lack of a better word, it, it, there's so much you can do with that and, and you can tell it in so many interesting ways. Yeah. Yeah. They just shift. Obviously the focus here isn't really on that. That's sort of a, a secondary thing that that's just kind of organic to what's happening because of the setting. But, um, I couldn't help but think about that. Um, John Beck loves the white turtleneck yellow sweater combo. Does he ever? That's that's the sweater, man. That's a serious sweater he's got going. Um, those 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 stubby necked beer bottles are almost like the J and B of this film. They are. They told, what was the what was the brand? Was it the brand? I can't remember the. I can't remember if it was even. A, it must have been a real brand, but I can't remember what it I was. I think it was, but I, I couldn't I couldn't make it out on the print on YouTube. Yeah, yeah. Um, what else do we got? Show notes. Mm. Yeah, Gordon Life, what we spoke about. How about this? There's kind of a sort of stunt moment when Cardelia in skates jumps down from like an upper level onto the corridor and skates. And I'm like, man, that could have ended poorly for someone, whether he busted his ankle or he came down on someone's foot and skates. A quick oh, I think, yeah, I, I, well, I got to have the same reaction because I think he's jumping after Burdock and I'm like, oh, my God, please don't. <laughs> that could easily have gone bad for like everyone involved. Everyone involved. I've never seen someone jump down from that kind of a height in skates before. <laughs> that was pretty crazy. Um, yeah, I love the the shots of kind of these endless wheat fields, right? It just it, it kind of conveys that just this goes on forever i mean even though it's a small town it just seems like as far as you can see this is all it is right it's it's the few buildings and the wheat fields um one thing i do want to say was i remember seeing and i guess you're going to get this and why am i reading youtube comments that's kind of absurd i get what i pay for i guess if i'm going to read them but (laughs) i remember seeing a youtube comment about this film that totally read it wrong and thought the rick dylan character was just like this ideal male like man the rick dylan character is so cool he's what every guy should be it's like wow man really like are you serious right now man like it wasn't like someone taking the piss it was just like this guy was like yeah it's it's a you know cool film about this cool something to that i'm like man you got it all wrong dude all all wrong no absolutely i mean trees their own but like there's there's a certain there's a certain level of a goes too far yeah that's just yeah that's to infer that is is a bit it's a a stretch for me for sure yeah yeah 100 percent um i think 
what does this even say? Let me just try to make this out here. Oh, there's a joke to be made about kind of dudes being quite content with sparse, uh, kind of Spartan dwellings. Like when he <laughs> takes her back to his hideout. Like, does that yeah. running joke about all guys need is a big TV and a futon? Apparently, yeah. Uh, so, <laughs> you know, maybe even less. But uh, it's telling, you know, Dil- Delay's character, Rick Dillon, he's the kind of guy 100 years ago, like he's out of place too, right? 100 years ago, he probably would have been the sheriff and would have been revered. And that would have went on for his whole life. Yep. Right? It's just, it's very telling. And it's really the commodification of his masculinity, right? Like, that's what this is, uh, you know, and how everyone's kind of, I don't want to say complicit, because I think there's a certain level of fear uh, for what's going to happen if people are defiant against him. But um, it definitely plays as that. And I love the the end of the film. There's this, the way it's edited with the sound and then John Beck's face and the realization on his face. Yes, no, that it's, without giving anything away. Yeah, that there is that moment in his face. This, this sort of like a, this, this fatalistic moment. Yep. I love that moment, man. Love that moment. Uh, those are all my notes on this one. Why don't I kick it over to you, make a break, MVT, and score? Okay. Um, it's funny, like, my my, my MVT going into this changed because uh, I, I I was going to give it to Elizabeth Ashley. Um, it should be said, maybe one of the great on-screen smokers. Oh, yeah. Um, but I think I do have to give it to Delea because, because of what we mentioned earlier about how he had this sort of reputation for being not able to deliver this sort of like performance. Um, I'm going to give it to him. Nice. Um, my break, my make or break scene has to be the shower scene. I, I went back and forth between the shower and the hideout scene. Um, but I feel like the, the shower scene sort of tells what the hideout scene does, but in a lengthier and maybe more, uh, memorable way um, may, maybe not be as much telling dialogue but it's a scene that sticks with you because of how it's shot um, the brave the brave uh, performances of the actors and what's being said um, and my score is a 7.25 very nice very nice um, well we were pretty pretty similar on this one man my make or break is the shower scene I, just for the reasons we spoke about, I think it really punctuates uh, what this this film's trying to say and the situations that people are put in in this film. Um, it's an ugly scene. It's kind of a minefield. You know, it's a ticking time bomb. Um, it, yeah, it's a great scene. It's a brave scene for them to do, right? It's, it's to put themselves out there. MVT, I am going to go with Delea. As we're talking about this, I, I realize, you know, everyone's great in the film. The female leads are at, they do a lot of heavy lifting with less screen time, with more economy, which isn't always an easy thing to do. Um, I love John Beck in this. What a revelation he is. If you'd have told me, you know, this is the same guy we saw a few weeks ago <laughs> uh, in Audrey Rose, I would have said you're lying because he was so sparkless in that. It's almost like the weird reverse GGTMC Samson thing where he's more powerful without the mustache somehow. <laughs> Very strange. But he's great in this. But, yeah, got to give it to Delea. 
And, man, I just want to give him flowers on the whole because if you look at his filmography, he's got – I don't think he had a chance – well, maybe not a chance. Who am I to say? But I feel like there's more interesting things in his filmography than maybe you would think at first glance. Like uh, Bunny Lake is Missing. Um, good flick. Uh, what's that? It's a good flick. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Jalo, uh, Devil in the Brain. Yep. Uh, there's one I really like that he did, uh, oh, man, where is it? Is it Paul and Michelle? Is that the one? Let me see. No, it's, fr- oh man, I'm going to find, I'm going to bumble through this now, but there's one he does, uh, it's right near the top of his, like it's, uh, David and Lisa. Have you ever seen? Oh yeah, 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 I see it here. Frank Perry, man. It's, it's a really good one. I really, really like it. He gets a chance to really act in that. Um, you know, there's a handful of cool ones that he made Black Christmas, of course, but uh, a handful of ones he gets to really show it off. Maybe none more so than this, because this shows him in a completely different light than I think we're all accustomed to. Um, he did a great, uh, not, what's the term? An AMA? Is that what it is? Uh, yeah, I think so. Yeah. He did a really cool AMA I happened to stumble across on Reddit. Um, just searching him one time, like not too long ago. And it just, he's very, um, you know, he's still working. He's like, what, like probably late eighties now, maybe 90 years old, still working. It was a very, uh, engaging, warm AMA with him engaging with people, asking questions, talking about obviously a lot of questions about his work with Kubrick, but, um, yeah, man, good, uh, good turn from him. My score for this one's just slightly What's that? Because he's in the hot thing of Julia, which I've always wanted to see in 1977. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, I've never seen that either, man. Uh, the great soundtrack uh, uh, from Colin Towns. It's called Full Circle under, under a different title. It's really good music. Um, there's, I'm sure if we dig, there's a lot of, probably a lot more good stuff in there, right? Yeah. Off the beaten path. Yep. Uh, um, oh, he did one with Uli Lamel. Huh, which one? Brainwaves. I don't think I've seen that one. I have not. Wow, interesting. He's one of the leads. I'm a, a big fan of the Boogeyman. Yeah, yeah. Twenty. That's one of my favorite synth scores of all time. You can't go wrong with synth, man. Uh, my score for this is just slightly above yours. It's a 7.5. I came in thinking I was going to go 7. Then we talked about it, and I kind of scribbled it out, put 7.25. And then as we sit on this one, it's 7.5. I want to give a give a shout out to good friend of the show, good friend uh, Chris, the uncool cat, who's been on here before. Um, he loves this film. He's got a great review on Letterbox that was one of the things that kind of put me over the top to finally uh, pick this. So shout outs to him. Um, but yeah, that's uh, that is the big show, as they say. Uh, George, I want to thank you so much for coming on. I knew it would just be like hand in glove, hand in hockey glove. Yeah. <laughs> to get you on and and talk about uh talk about this. Uh, is there anything before we jump off that you are involved with creatively or otherwise that you want to share? Um, I uh, I mean, I, I'm not to, I don't, I don't like to sort of speak about myself too much, but I do. I work actually for a Canadian company called Watch Mojo, um, and uh. I, uh, I've been writing for 20 years. I started off, you know, in the music industry. Um, 
uh, and I sort of switched uh, over to film maybe like halfway through. And oh no, I, I, I write content there. Um, I still write music uh, content for um, Alpern Magazine. Uh, you, you can find me a, around, but uh, I'm just a writer by trade. That's that's what I do, uh, and that's just what I love doing. So I, I don't like to sell myself too much. I'm just here to talk about movies with with friends. So it's to be on my favorite podcast is just like surreal to me. So I want to say thanks again for having me on here. Oh man, truly our pleasure. I know Rick would have loved to have been on when he gets back and, you know, hopefully he'll be back here pretty soon. He's just, uh, to pull back the curtains, just, you know, life stuff, right? We all get busy. We get stuff going on, uh, commitments, uh, with our families and things like that, where it kind of ties us up and, uh, makes it hard to, to do other things. So when he gets back in the saddle, uh, or on the ice to keep the hockey theme going. Yeah. We'll, we'll definitely get you back on so we can get uh, a proper GGTMC menage going. So any, anytime, brother, anytime. Awesome. Uh, well, I do think there's only one thing left to say, my friend, and that adios. is adios. Adios. Thanks for listening. You can find the gentleman at ggtmc.com and you can email the gentleman at midnightcinema at gmail.com. Thank you.